Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hey, good morning and welcome to the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel. I'm your host for today's show. I'm also the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions nationally within the manufacturing sectors. Hey, today we are so excited to have with us my friend, Michelle Orr. Michelle is with Live Oak Bank, and she comes to Live Oak with 22 years of experience in SBA lending. I know a lot of you out there have questions about SBA lending, and we've got one of the best in the industry to answer your questions today. Michelle has closed over $185 million in SBA loans just in the last 11 years. And she says that she has 22 years in this. I think she started when she was 12. <laughs> <laughs> hey, girlfriend, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today and to talk about SBA loans and you know how they're a great option for financing M&A deals, which is something we do a ton of here at Live Oak. Um, you know, not many people in my market specifically have heard of Live Oak, but um, we are the number one SBA lender in the nation. We have been the past three years in a row, and we are a year to date as well. And as you mentioned, I've been in the business for 22 years, primarily covering Connecticut and New York, but I can lend anywhere in the country. That's fabulous. So you you had an interesting journey. You weren't always with Live Oak. Um, and one of the things that I like to tell potential buyers of the businesses that we have on the market is that not all SBA lenders are created equal. Uh, many of them are going to a small local bank who says, oh, yes, we do SBA lending, but they're not a preferred lender. Can you explain to the listening audience, Michelle, speaking to the differences in SBA lenders a little Absolutely. bit and what it means to be a preferred lender? Absolutely. So I'll start with the preferred lender status. So you actually have to apply for that. And we are a preferred lender nationwide. So what that means is when you apply for a loan with us and we've done our underwriting and approved you for a loan um, and issued a commitment letter, you are formally approved. The SBA does not have to receive your loan file and do their own underwriting of your loan request uh, because we do have that preferred status. The only thing we need to do prior to closing is obtain what's called a PLP number. And that's the SBA kind of stamp of approval that you have an SBA loan, basically. So my understanding is if, if a bank is not a preferred lender, it goes through that bank's underwriting, but then it's going through a second underwriting process with the SBA. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So that adds on time to the process, of course. Um, anywhere from three to four weeks at times, depending on their level of activity, and also an additional level of scrutiny. So, you know, lenders like us normally have a little bit more flexibility in the way we're underwriting where, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with the SBA, quite frankly. So it is, you know, less time consuming and a, a more streamlined process if you are dealing with a preferred lender. Yeah. 
You know, and sometimes in every recent transaction we've done, there has been stiff competition. And so if if a seller knows that you are adding a month or more to the process, your bank could lose you the deal. Yeah. And I should also say that every lender has a different appetite for what we call goodwill. So, you know, a lot of lenders have caps on the amount of goodwill that they're willing to go to in a loan. Where we at Live Oak, we're willing to go up to $5 million regardless of collateral coverage and add on conventional financing behind that $5 million to achieve a greater loan size. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, we'll look up to about $8.5 million in total financing package. Yeah. So other, other SBA lenders, you know, Live Oak is willing to go up to $5 million. Can you give our listeners an indication of how other lending institutions, their internal limits on goodwill? Yeah, I can give you some insight around that coming from one of the largest big banks um, as an SBA lender. And and the cap there was 1.5 million. So that means if you were just buying a business without real estate um, and there wasn't a whole lot of value in the fixed assets, then you'd be looking at a max loan with a bank like that at $1.5 million. So um, it, there's a considerable difference when you shop bank to bank as to their threshold for you know goodwill. Yeah. Looking at the Market Pulse report, which is something I follow closely, attracts my industry nationally, not just manufacturing, but sales of all companies you know, within the United States. Mm-hmm. And the recent Market Pulse report, again, has individual buyers being among the top category of an acquirer of, of businesses. So what I find is um, many times individual buyers leaving corporate America, they've never applied for a loan before. They may have been involved in finance in their corporation, but it's entirely different than applying yourself for an acquisition loan. Can you give us a little snapshot of what they should expect? Sure. And that's very common, the the scenario that you just described. Um, You know, we look for people that know how to operate a business, whether that be that they own one previously or they just managed a company. You know, those are the things that really add value um, to a buyer. And so one of the first things we look for is their resume, of course, so we can kind of assess, you know, what they've done in the past. But they also need to provide three years of uh, personal tax returns a personal financial statement. We need a good understanding of what their liquidity looks like. So, you know, once they put in the 10% or so that SBA requires, what do they have remaining? And then we also look for projections so that we can understand what their go forward plan is for this business. Typically, we don't require a, a business plan, a written business plan, but if they do communicate that they intend to make some changes to the operations of the business, then we would like to see that explained in writing for our credit file. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we need seller information. And you know, when I'm working with a broker, nine times out of 10, that seller information is being provided by the broker, not the buyer. Um, And so you're familiar with those items as to what we typically look for. But it's good for us to know, um, you know, things up front, like if there's any customer concentration or seasonality, supplier concentration, those are the things that we like to know up front so that we can try to structure around 
what we call risk. And so, you know, it doesn't mean we're not open to risk in a deal, but we need to know how to structure around it to protect all parties. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said, trying to understand and a potential buyer, what they have to put down, but also what their liquidity is beyond a down payment. And I can tell you that people come to us all the time and they say, oh, gee, I'm qualified to buy this two and a half or $5 million business. And, you know, they're counting on perhaps putting 10% down, but it's going to wipe them out. And we're like, no, 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 you're not qualified for this. Yeah. You're not going to get approved. And right. we'll invite them to or encourage them to speak with a lender first so that they can understand um, what is really required. Can you speak into it all when you're looking at a potential acquirer of a business and you want them to have funds available beyond a down payment? What exactly do you look for? Is it six months of living expenses? Is it a year? What does that look like? Yeah, so there's no hard and fast rule, Fran, but what I will tell you is the six months is, you know, a good rule of thumb. It also depends if there's outside income that's going to continue, which we have seen, you know, in many of our transactions, whether that be from a spouse um, that is guaranteeing or a loan or from the actual buyer who is acquiring this business as an add-on to one that they already own. I just, you know, I just closed a $6 million deal like that a couple months ago where they already owned a business that was providing them with more than ample income for their personal obligations. So, you know, every situation is different, but we try to use good common sense when underwriting a loan. And so, you know, we just want to be mindful of not putting the buyer in a precarious situation where they've depleted all their cash and they don't have a fallback position of any kind. Right. Again, it's it's mitigating risk. Exactly. The lender is mitigating risk and people need to understand that. The same issues with customer concentration, vendor concentration, it's all about the risk, right? Yep, absolutely. So you've you've closed a lot of deals, girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> So I am sure that you have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to um, professionals that are involved in the transaction that help or hurt the process. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to our audience a little bit about the importance of hiring someone, your professionals, who actually understands M&A? Yeah. So in a transaction like this, you know, first and foremost, you have the buyer and seller, right? And then a lot of times there's an intermediary broker that's representing the seller. Um, sometimes there's one representing the buyer. Um, but in addition to that, you have your, your deal team that I call it, and that's your banker, your CPA, and your attorney. And so that deal team needs to be cohesive and we all need to be on the same page as far as timing for the transaction. You know, what are we looking for in terms of getting the loan approved and closing it? Because if we're not all on the same page about that, then that date just goes, you know, out the window. Um, also, there's different levels of experience that I've noticed throughout my career and, you know, hiring the same attorney that closes residential loans is not recommended at all. Um, there's different nuances that come up with 
commercial lending and SBA specifically. So I can give you an example in the state of Connecticut, when you are buying a business, you need to apply to the Department of Revenue for successor liability clearance. And that's uh, sales tax clearance. Mm -hmm. And so that's not in every state in the country, but it is specific to Connecticut as an example. And if your attorney isn't familiar with that, and you don't have a banker like me that's familiar with it to tell you to apply for it as soon as possible, that's something that could come up as a surprise at the very end and delay you by three, four weeks. So, you know, having that cohesive deal team that has specific experience to these types of transactions is really critical in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Attorneys or CPAs can add a lot to the timeline of a deal and sometimes, and, you know, time kills deals. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you speak at all? So many people are familiar with a 7A loan. What about the real estate acquisition loan? A lot of people don't know. Can you talk about the differences between the two of those? Sure. So there is another program called the 504 loan, and that's specific to real estate and equipment. Uh, Most lenders just utilize it for real estate, though, because an equipment loan can also be accommodated with a 7A, and so can real estate, quite frankly. But a 504 is a combination of two mortgages, and the first mortgage is made by a bank like Live Oak, normally for 50% of the project cost. And then there's a second partner involved called a certified development company, CDC for short. Um, And they typically do 40% behind us in a second mortgage. So the two combined can allow up to 90% financing over 20 or 25 years. You know, you can do the same with a 7A loan. We We can actually go up to if it's not an acquisition situation, but it's it's an existing business buying real estate, we're willing to go up to 100% financing here, which is very rare. I've never seen that anywhere else. But the good thing is we have both options. So, you know, we we do what makes sense for the client and, and what their desire is. So we can, you know, offer both options, 7A and 504. And the timeframes or the, the length of the loan is different for each of those, correct? Yeah. And, and the timeframe for processing as well, because with a 504, you actually have three parties involved in that transaction. It's the lender, the CDC that I mentioned, and also the SBA. So after the CDC underwrites and approves the project, they now have to submit to the SBA, which adds time on to the back end. What can people expect during the due diligence process? Sure. So, you know, there's certain things that we touch upon when we're underwriting, like I mentioned previously, seasonality, customer concentration, any licenses that are required to operate the business. We want to make sure that our buyer will be qualified to obtain Um, CapEx. So we we typically include a CapEx reserve in our underwriting for future capital expenditures. We want to make sure that the business cash flow can handle that. The sales cycle of the business, we need to understand that working capital needs. So um, sometimes there's working capital built into the sale. If not, we can lend the working capital. So that factors into overall total project costs of which we can go up to 90% under SBA policy. You know, customer payment terms, those are kind of the general things that we look for in due diligence. And we also want to make sure that the customer really has an in-depth knowledge of how this business works, who makes it work. If the seller goes away, are you going to 
be able to step in the seller's shoes and fill all the responsibilities and roles that the seller has filled. If not, then, you know, what's the plan for that? So just seeing that our buyer has a good understanding of the overall workings of the company, it, it gives us a great comfort level in, in that we have the right buyer. Mm. That's funny. We often, um, you know, manufacturing companies are one of the top selling sectors in the United States and, and have been for the last few years. Often we have purely financial buyers come to us. And I want to buy a manufacturing business because manufacturing is booming right now. And when we start to question them about their, their background, their experience, their knowledge of manufacturing, you know, their answer sometimes is, well, I have enough money to throw at the problem. If something, ah, you know, we're yeah. very interested in the continuity of the company and, and the retention of the business and the community and the jobs and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the answer. There are some there are some manufacturing companies that can be run with with a process is not as demanding as it is in others, and and that's fine for a financial buyer. But I love the fact that your firm looks into that and is is protective of the industry that they're lending into, mm-hmm. and really truly trying to you know make sure there's a good match there. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're a cash flow lender. So we want to make sure that cash flow is preserved. Yeah. Now, Live Oak, does Live Oak not go understanding that there's, you know, there there are SBA limits? I know that Live Oak on occasion goes above an SBA limit. Can you speak into that a little bit? Sure. So like I mentioned previously, we're we're able to go up to 90% financing. Uh, for an acquisition, and that's SBA policy. So, you know, if you're looking at a bigger transaction, say it's $10 million, um, we've been known to do a $5 million 7A loan and then add on a conventional loan behind it or parapasu, depending if there's collateral or not, um, you know, to achieve the greater than 5 million, but up to the 90%. And what we're looking for really is that the cash flow can service debt at a 1.5 times debt service coverage. So, you know, as long as that's there, we're very willing to go past the 5 million. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. Explain a little bit, sometimes when I'm speaking with potential clients, sellers, and they're expecting a sale price, and you run it through a process to determine a debt service coverage ratio, and you say that term, and their eyes glaze over because they have no idea what you're talking about. Give it for those who might not be familiar, give us a little take on what that actually is. Yeah, and its simplest uh, definition is for every dollar of debt, you have a dollar fifty to, to pay it back. That's how I like to say it in its simplest terms. To be a little more complex about it, it's the cash flow divided by the annual debt service. And then that that gives you a ratio. So hopefully we get to a 1.5 in 19 and 20. If we don't hit it in 19, we haven't said no. We just want to understand why we didn't hit it in 19 and, and we will make exceptions. So, you know, like I said, we try to use a common sense approach when we're underwriting a loan and not be so steadfast in, you know, black and white policies. Sure. And I know this wasn't on our schedule to talk about it, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Sure. So a lot of potential clients are very concerned because they had a tough year last year with COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
how are how is Live Oak uh, looking at a, a, comp, a manufacturer or another type of company um, if they were a little bit down last year? Is that really um, hitting hard their valuation as far as the bank looks at it? No, I mean, what we're trying to do, again, is use use some common sense here, right? We all know that COVID impacted a multitude of businesses last year, unfortunately, and that's just the reality of it. Um, but, you know, if you look at the year-to-date performance and perhaps compare that to 2019 same period, you know, that can give us a good feel for is the business back on track to where it was before COVID happened, um, and so hopefully, you know, those things check out. Yeah, perfect. What can people expect with regard to the time frame from the time you get an application for someone to acquire a business? What does this look like? How long does it take? Sure. So it's a three-step process, no matter really where you go. Usually there's the first step is getting pre-qualified by someone. Here, that's me. And then I work with our credit team to do what we call a pre-flight before I issue a proposal letter. And that really adds value to the proposal letter because you can expect an approval after that, right? So that process typically takes two to three days once I have everything I need to do that. And then during, you know, after that, we'll submit to underwriting and that takes about 10 business days maximum to get an approval and a commitment letter. While underwriting is happening, I like to work with the client in preparing for closing. So I send them a pre-closing checklist for them to start gathering items. So as long as they've actually worked on that, um, once they're approved, then they should be able to close within 30 days or less. Oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah. Is there benefit to a potential acquirer coming to you and starting a relationship and and you understanding their finances before they have determined a target acquisition? Yeah. I mean, we can't do a proposal letter of any sort, but it's always good to develop that rapport. And also for me to have an understanding of you know, what does their liquidity look like? You know, what kind of experience do they have? What industry are they looking at? What price tag are they looking at? And that way I can guide them as to, okay, if you find the perfect business with great cash flow, there's a good chance I can help you. Or, you know, if they're looking at a price tag that's just far beyond what I feel comfortable lending because of their liquidity and what would be left, then we can have that conversation early on as well. So and it never hurts. And I was hoping you'd say, <laughs> yeah, it never hurts to start conversing with an experienced lender and, you know, just getting that, that rapport going. Sure. So is it a good time to acquire right now? What are the rates like? It um, is. So under the COVID relief bill, there, there was two, two great benefits for buyers and One was the um, waiver of the SBA guarantee fee, which, you know, if you're talking about a $5 million loan, that's over $100,000 in savings. And then secondly to that, the SBA is making your first three months of principal and interest payments up to $9,000 per month, as long as your loan is approved and closes by September 30th. So um, those funds are still available. They haven't run out yet. So, you know, that's the highlight benefit of 
of buying a business right now, but also interest rates are still very low. I mean, when I started off 22 years ago, I remember Prime being at nine and three quarters. So, you know, I was lending You're really well aging over- yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was doing loans over 12% back then. And, and right now, the max rate you can charge is currently 6%, which is prime plus 275. So, you know, it's still a great time to borrow money. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people thought that when the PPP money ran out, the second round, which it did, that that was the end to everything. No. But you're, it's they still have until when is it? September, September 30th. That's phenomenal. Yeah. There you go, people. Time to yes. call Michelle. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. We're starting to run out of time. I really appreciate you visiting with us. You My pleasure. You are up in Connecticut in a state that I spend a lot of time in. We currently have two listings up there. You're Wonderful. right in Aerospace Alley, which we love to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those listening that are considering making an acquisition, tell them how to reach out to you. Sure. My cell phone number is 203-461-5097. And my email address is Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot or O-R-R at liveoak.bank, not dot com. <laughs> Wonderful. Michelle, this has been an absolute delight. It's nice to see you. You and, too. Um, best of luck at your new position at Live Oak Bank. A Thank bank you that so much. Deal with. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful week. Hey, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.